Adopted early on as a game for the wealthy and privileged, the sport was exclusively for the white upper class. Yet despite limited access to courts and instruction, tennis slowly began to grow in the African-American community around the turn of the century. Excluded from the U.S. Lawn and Tennis Association, members from all black tennis clubs responded by forming their own circuit, the American Tennis Association, in 1916. Still in existence today, the ATA is the oldest African-American sports organization in the country. This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Althea Gibson and her family literally had to wait until the courts were closed at night to learn the game. In fact, Althea Gibson used to joke that that's what made her develop some of the shots that she did because she had to kind of know where the lines were. She couldn't count on her eyes telling her. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. America's chickens are coming home. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. of the 31st anniversary of the Jimmy Doc Horn Tennis Center in West Palm Beach, Florida. It is here tonight. We are going to be looking at the legacy of Doc Horn, his role and contribution in black tennis, and we certainly invite you to join us in our chat room if you'd like to do that. We're at blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. Bring your username and your password and you're all set. There are seats up front. If you are listening to us on the Internet and you'd like to switch to your smart device, you can dial in and listen at 347-838-9852. In what we call at Our Common Ground, our second page, which is the second hour, we're just being fancy. Um, we will be taking your calls. If you are calling, because this is a broadcast about a local event, about local issues, even though they have 
rippled into the national landscape of black tennis, uh, I will take your calls in the second page. And um, if you are local, which is the 561 area code, I will call out your area code in the first two digits of your telephone number. I will not reveal your telephone number. And if you'd like to tell us who you are and how you are going to support the Jimmy Doc Horn Tennis Center at Gaines Park in West Palm Beach, Florida, which is my hometown for for all you people who have been listening to me for years, you you all know that's my hometown. That's home. And um, Jimmy Doc Horn was has a personal story in my life, and we'll be talking a little about that. Let me tell you about what's going to happen in this episode. We're going to be talking with Jimmy Bohorn, who is the popular, famous rhythm and blues artist, uh, who is the son of Jimmy Dockhorn. And he, we'll be talking with him about his father, about... Uh, who he is as a a, a person, and I can do some of that talking too because I was his student for more than 10 years. I started tennis lessons with him at age 7. We'll talk more about that. As we always do on our broadcasts, we let you know uh, that we are encouraging you to remain safe from the COVID pandemic. As of February 18th, which was yesterday, there have been 27,674,548 confirmed cases of COVID-19 coronavirus in the United States and in its six territories. Currently, as of yesterday, 62,300 people were hospitalized, and we want you to note that that um, uh, 16% of those who are hospitalized across this country are black. And there have been, as of yesterday, 483,263 deaths as a result of infection of this virus. We want you to understand that it is deadly, that you must take all precautions and institute in your life a safety protocol, washing hands, keeping social distance, and um, making sure you are masking. And all of the experts that I listen to are suggesting that you double mask at this point because of the variants. Uh, variant strains of this uh, virus have moved into especially Florida and especially uh, for those of you uh, who have pre-existing conditions and have not decided yet whether or not you will take the vaccine. Um, I was vaccinated with my first dose on two weeks ago. And looking forward to my second dose, it is not, I repeat, you know how you folks can get, I repeat, it is not um, 
it is a personal decision that I made with my physician, and it should be a personal decision that you make with your physician and your family. I'm not giving out any medical advice at all. The only medical advice that I'm giving out is that you must have a safety protocol. So uh, thank you again for being with us as people are still coming into the broadcast. We are sending our best wishes to the people of Texas in this natural disaster created by just bad politicians. Um, And we're sending out a note to Donald Trump Jr. You're an ass. No, you're dumb because we're going to have children here tonight. You're just dumb. The governor of Texas is a Republican. He is your friend and your father's friend. But it is the state government of Texas that created the perfect storm for greed. You know it's always greed. But we send our uh, best wishes uh, for folks out in Texas to get through this. Uh, People are now having a crisis of water, even though electricity, meaning heat, because in the South, for some reason, everybody's got electric heat, uh, it seems. Um, So people are getting their heat restored, but because of the many, many pipes, uh, frozen pipes that burst, and we all know that frozen pipes burst. Uh, people probably will not get heat until uh, the, the necessary repairs are being made. There are many, many ways in which you can support uh, friends, family, people you don't know in Texas, and you should Google them. But one of the places that I suggest you Google them is the Progressive Caucus of the United States House of Representatives. They are doing a fantastic job in 24 hours. They raised more than $21 million to get to grassroots, which means inside the community organizations, nonprofit organizations, to bring services to needy people in this disaster. Um So one of the things that we want to um, acknowledge is that we are still in Black History Month 2021, and Black History Matters, if you are a regular here at Our Common Ground, you know that Black History Matters and the history which we comprehend has to be through the filters of our own experience. And we hope that uh, you will do something with children and in your community. You know, there's Zoom, there's a whole bunch of stuff. So we're going to get with it. Uh, James Bonehead Marion and Rick Easley and Bo Horn are with us tonight. And we'll take your calls. Write it down, 347-838-9852. And, of course, this is our common ground. The rich history of black people in tennis in the United States, it goes back 110 years. It includes names that you know, 
you know, like Althea Gibson, Arthur Ashe, Zena Garrison, Venus and Serena Williams, the goth um, young woman in Delray, uh, and and it also includes a lot of little tidbits. And one of the things is that there were three events in the 1890s that shaped how black people could participate in tennis during its formative years. The first was the passage of a Louisiana law in 1890 that stated blacks and whites were to be provided separate railway carriages. So you're saying, oh, Janice, what, what does a railway carriage have to do with tennis? Well, just hold on for a minute. Just hold on for a minute. The decision is very important in the history of tennis. The second was a decision by Homer Plessy, who was seven-eighths white and one-eighth black, to purchase a first-class ticket on June 7th in 1892 and intentionally sit in the white-only car. Now, you know what that decision Plessy versus USA. The ruling allowed Jim Crow segregation to run rampant. The third event that occurred two years after the Supreme Court ruling on Plessy was that Reverend W.W. Walker organized the first African-American interstate tournament held at a tennis club, the Chakwa Tennis Club in Philadelphia. So that gives us a sense of how tennis became segregated and under Jim Crow law, law was prohibited. But you know how we are. We did it anyway. So on the other side of this, that I want to share with you about this history. We're going to be talking with Bullhorn, Jimmy Bullhorn. And I'm going to play some of his music. Of course I am. Why y'all asking in the chat room? I am going to play some of his music, but I want you to take a listen to this. African Americans have been playing tennis since the game's beginning in the 19th century. As early as 1898, Rev. W.W. W. Walker sponsored a tournament in Philadelphia. Edgar Brown was an early pioneer, credited with the creation of topspin and aggressive baseline play. Mother Soames was the first prominent African American coach teaching the game on a single court in Chicago. But the tragedy was that in tennis, all white didn't just mean court attire. African-American players were comprehensively overlooked by tennis officials and the lion's share of the press. Excluded from the prestigious venues, events, and media coverage that comprise the American tennis scene, African-Americans took charge of their own tennis destiny. In about 1900, uh, the black neighborhood started where these two tennis courts were the backyard of a a mansion. And so the owner, the white owner, used to let 
the black neighborhood people come and use the tennis courts in his yard. The others at Brookfield Playground and branching out to the tournament in, in uh, Durham, North Carolina, and Washington, and Baltimore, and Philadelphia, New Jersey, and in New York. And the ATA Senior Championships in places like Wilberforce and, and Hampton. It was a glorious time. I always maintain that uh, there are two major tennis organizations in this country. One is the USTA, the other one is ATA. I say USTA is number one, ATA is number two. Like Hertz and Avis, one and two is never bad. But the spirit of change was in the air. An ATA player was about to emerge who was going to take not just a small step, but instead would make a big splash. Althea Gibson was born in 1927. She grew up in Harlem, a classic tomboy. Gibson excelled at all sports. Receiving her first racket in 1940, she learned the game from a remarkable instructor named Fred Johnson. He helped me in uh, so many ways. And serve. So he taught me my first serve, the overhead serve. And uh, that's how I got started. So precocious was Gibson that two years later, merely 15 years old, she made it all the way to the finals of the ATA National Championships. Upset by the loss, she was consoled by a man who would dare tell her she had the goods to compete at the U.S. Nationals at Forest Hills. His name was Walter Johnson. A physician from Virginia, the man affectionately known as Dr. J, put his heart, soul, and money into the development of African-American tennis players. Each summer, Dr. Johnson invited 10 of the most promising young African-American players to live and train at his house. Dr. Johnson devoted significant attention to sportsmanship. He'd sit down to a nice meal at the end of the day, and um, my granddad would come in and he'd sit at the head of the table, and then it was time for him to talk about strategy and what did you learn today and what did you work on today? Did you work on your weakest stroke? Did you work on that backhand or did you work on the net game that needs work? It was out of his home, his yard, his court, one court in the backyard, and he sponsored them. He put them in his car, took off from his practice, and took these young men and young, young women to look, they looked as the guys played, to the tournament and gave them the proper deportment so that they wouldn't get in trouble. Soon enough, Gibson was given the chance to compete in USLTA events. For much of the 50s, she worked very hard on her tennis, honing her attacking game under the tutelage of Sidney Llewellyn. In 1957, she became the world's very best, first taking the singles title at the game's preeminent tournament, Wimbledon. Althea wins the Wimbledon Championship, the first member of her race to do so. She was a national hero, pumping interest in tennis, showcasing the power of the ATA, and paving the way for another great champion always seeking to advance the cause of young African-American players, Dr. J was fortunate to find a talent right in his own backyard. Arthur Ashe of Richmond, Virginia had tremendous ambition and the skill to back it up. Arthur came to us at the recommendation of his first coach, Ron Chariot, a local Richmond player who was very talented. And most of all, the ATA is about friendship, using tennis as a way to bring people together and form a community. One of the challenges that we have is that young people out there in our urban, especially urban and other communities, 
don't have access to tennis like other, other communities. One of the interesting things about uh, the ATA and breaking the barriers is that it was as much a, a story about breaking class barriers as it was about breaking racial barriers. It's a critical time in, in tennis history in the black community. Um, many young folks who have a lot of talent don't have the financial means to play the tournaments necessary to get on the radar screen of the USTA. So the ATA plays an important role in helping to groom those students and provide some financial backing so that they can become the champions of the future. From the days of Edgar Brown and Mother Soames on through to Reginald Weir and Ora Washington, Jimmy McDaniel and Dr. Johnson, Althea Gibson and Arthur Ashe, Zena Garrison and James Blake, Venus and Serena, and on into the future. ATA will continue to persevere. It knows no other way. Breaking the barriers. 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 And now back and to the, our common ground. It, breaking the barriers also includes some who were little known that carried the passion of tennis to small communities across the country. One of the reasons that it's so important for us to understand the history of black tennis in this country is to put what they did in context. Those who infused a love of the game and its roaring competition to black children and adults alike in ill-fitted, ungroomed tennis courts across this country. The man that we celebrate tonight, Jimmy Doc Horn, a public school teacher, a former Florida A&M University competitor, was one. His passion was to help kids play tennis, and I am proud to be one of those children. He is a tennis standout, once barred from white courts in Palm Beach County in an era of segregation, and he did not wait for somebody else to design a program to expose city kids in West Palm Beach to the sport, nor did he wait to be paid. He retired from public school teaching uh, third, after 34 years, and it did not slow him down from working for, for children, with children. In 1990, the city of West Palm Beach proclaimed March 17th as Jimmy Doc Horn Appreciation Day. The tennis facilities at Gaines Park, which is the predominantly black sports complex in West Palm Beach is named for him. In 1994, he was one of six recipients of the U.S. Tennis Association Community Service Award, and we are so honored to be able to raise him up here at our common ground. We're going to bring in his son, Jimmy Borhorn, who is the very popular and famous music producer 
And before we talk to him, we want you to be able to uh, understand who he is through your ears. Yeah, we used to be on the dance floor with Jimmy Bogorn. That's right. And in the mornings, 
he would get up early, and I'd be in that truck with him. And I remember you could just as well call yourself Doc Horn's tennis daughter. Yes, absolutely, because I started with him when I was seven. That's right. That's exactly and right. And even when I moved to Palm Beach High School and I played on the Palm Beach High School tennis uh, team, I still was under his tutelage on the weekends. There you go. There you go. All the way through high school. There you go. He you know, was, and, and the, I'm... The, the, thing, he, the thing that made me so proud of my dad is because... He believed investing in young people and giving them the opportunity that he was still fighting for. Yep, yep. Um, You know, the idea that he organized under the ATA at a time when the ATA was really struggling, um, he, he sent me to Dr. Jay's camp one summer. That was before Arthur Ashe. And um, he was just an advocate because he understood two things, Jimmy. He understood that if people like him did not advocate, black kids would be blacked out of the sport. Blacked out and And left out. Yeah, absolutely. The other is he understood the kind of discipline that it strategic discipline that yes. it took yes. to play tennis and he always uh used to say do the math just do the math and, that's you know, him that's when him when you're 12 years old and you got this guy yelling at you do the math and you're trying to figure out where's the math where's the math <laughs> Let me tell you, he believed that tennis gave you discipline and tennis helped you understand that it was all about math, Mm -hmm. being able Mm -hmm. to count, being able to know that you need to wear a certain attire, which was, was, I want to say, very, very unique because he would basically say to me, hey, you got to get up. You got to get ready because, see, if you got to rush to be on time, Bo, you already late. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was that kind of grassroots uh, counselor. You know, I have to tell you the story about Please. when when I was about nine. I had always worn tennis skirts. I hated the tennis skirts. I hated them. <laughs> So I showed up, you know, I got real snotty, and I showed up with shorts. And I, you know, I had never had a conversation about the skirt. And he said to me, I'm glad you got smart. Uh, he said, because oh, I'm waiting. I'm all, waiting. That skirt, all that skirt flying behind you wasn't helping things. <laughs> <laughs> he was, I mean, and 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 my folks. If Mr. Horn said Janice got to be at the court at seven o'clock, um, my my mother and father they said get on the bike and get up there. You got to <laughs> you go. <know? laughs> 
Yeah, I got to go. You know, and he had me playing with adults. I never played uh, with other children. I played with the Woolfolk Brothers. That's right. I played with Mr. Singletary. That's right, John Henry. That's right. And they were all his um, uh, teammates from Florida A&M. Yes. But, but, you know, I had the uh, pleasure of, of uh, interviewing uh, maybe about five years ago the um, parents of the golf golf girl from Delray. I can't. I can't yes. Yeah. And and one of the things that had occurred to me as I was talking with them was that the father's love of tennis. He said that he used to come to Gaines Park. To play mm. tennis when and they lived in in Delray. That's right. And that That's is right. how he became a lover of tennis. And and in 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 West Palm Beach, um, I was I was so happy to see when the tennis center had been named for him, at yes. what you can call quote unquote the new courts, uh, when the city finally built tennis courts within that complex. Um, because there is no one in South Florida who broke the uh, race barrier to tennis more than Jimmy Dockhorn. Oh, I appreciate you. I, I appreciate you. Thank there, you. There, I mean, um, when even when I was in college, and I played on a team in a college where all those little white girls. They had, they had been playing tennis for the same amount of time that I had at the country clubs and the whole nine yards. And tennis was a, a way of life for them and their parents. And uh, your father was was the one that said, "Don't worry about that. Just do what That's you right. do. Just do what you do. <laughs> do what you do. You know." And um, I mean, there is no one. I joined the and help organize the Sportsman's Tennis Club in, in Boston, which is part of the ATA. Mm-hmm. All my, my my daughter and all my grandchildren uh, play there now. Mm-hmm. My daughter mm-hmm. was trained there. And, and, and there's nobody that's come through the Sportsman's Tennis Club that doesn't know your father's name. You know, I, the, the, the thing about Dad is that Dad had that magnetism to draw people and be able to talk to people and get them to see the things that were important to him. One of the funniest mm-hmm. things that happened when they named uh, the Jimmy Doc Horn uh, Tennis Center after him, I was taking him home, and uh, he had a strange look on his face, Janice. And he said, Bo. I said, yeah. He said, you know, I'm very honored that they named the Tennis Center after me. He said, but... I'm a little bit worried. And I say, why, Dad? He said, because normally when they name buildings and stuff after the people, you got to be dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's a typical statement coming from him. Right, right. Yeah, right. yeah. So yeah. I, I told him, I say, that, that say, not in every case. He say, well, I'm honored. He say, but I just wanted to check myself because he had that kind of humor. He could relate to people. You know, yep, he, yep. his his belief was it's so nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. 
Mm-hmm. You know, he used to he used to always tell the stories of how he was a uh, tennis champion, and, and it was in 1947 at mm-hmm. FAMU. He was a yep. he was a state. He was a state tennis champion in 1947, yes. and it was an all-black division. And he mm-hmm. became the first registered black tennis pro in Florida. In the state of Florida. And that's right. Uh, and 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 after serving as a quartermaster in the in the U.S. Army, he taught woodworking and comedy. That's right. That's but right. But he never he never left. The notion of he, he ne- never left behind his passion no. for this game. I mean, if you watched him play, which I spent a lot of hours watching him play. If you watched <laughs> him play, passion. you know, and yep, yep, and 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 um, you know, and he said, if you if you get hurt, you just get up and be unhurt. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was kind of like, okay, <laughs> you know. And when when by the time I was in high school, he he would give you the kind of coaching. There you go. That you could never forget. You knew what your weaknesses were. You knew Absolutely. what your strengths were. And, Absolutely. You know, and 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 he always leaned into your strength. Exactly. You know, he, uh, once I broke my broke my uh, elbow, oh. right on division, mm-hmm. and and so I was worried about my serve. I broke my right elbow, and mm. I was worried about my serve. And as I as as I've gotten older, I can I can start to feel it again. A little arthritis has has jumped in, but he said to me, "Then all you have to do." Is take what you know of your serve with your right arm and use it in your left arm. Look at that. Yeah, that's that. That's exactly that was the essence. That's um, Doc Horn. Yep. And 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 Jimmy, it, it, let it, talk to me about the legacy that he has left in Palm Beach County. He he has basically touched people that were not even interested in inner-city youth. And he's done that and did that for years through the Tennis Association, through Publix, and other institutions in the community because he was able to marry into the idea that grown people, when they brought their kids out and wanted to leave them, he said, oh, no, you can't leave them. We're going to have Mm -hmm. you to learn and teach them. And he also got guys that were like his sons, like James Marion, who he basically started to the point of where he was his right-hand man. And he would teach kids. And he knew exactly how to do this, red and yellow, black and white, it didn't matter. Gaines Park, for the first time, had white parents, black parents coming out and teaching their kids and it got to a point to where they would be out there teaching them and wouldn't be dropping them off. And it got to a point to where he required that if you want your kid to learn, you got to be here with them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And the legacy, yeah. the legacy for me is that he would advocate each one, teach one. And if you want to make the community better, you got to basically put something down on it. And this is why, mm-hmm. for many, many years, Janice, he wasn't getting paid, but he was dedicated. Yep. Yep. He was definitely dedicated. And, and, and one of the things that most of his students that um, I have talked to, and I talked to a lot of his students, uh, I played at Gaines Park uh, regularly when I would come home to visit, and it, it, it was the work ethic. It was the sportsmanship. It was learning how to lose. I mean, he used to tell me stuff like, okay, you lost it, so go to school tomorrow and make an A somewhere. There you go. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and come back and try it again. Um, there you go. So he, 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 I mean, sportsmanship, and I, I, I think that everybody listening to us would agree, builds character. Absolutely, it does. And Absolutely look at all of the black children who had him as a role model, whether he was teaching them woodworking or whether he was teaching them tennis. Yes. And he was actually teaching the adults in our community about Absolutely. organizing. Yes. You know, Anybody, like he had us... It, all in Dunbar Village, which is a, a large public, for those of you who are not familiar with West Palm Beach, is a large public housing um, development, and at the time it was totally segregated. Exactly. And he would have us taking flyers about how children could join uh, the tennis program right down the street, on, right across the street from from the um, the development. Yep. And. And he would have all of us just passing out. And and that was community activism at its best. Yes. Because he was offering something. And he believed in it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Jimmy, let's bring in James Marion, who was uh, his assistant and student, and Rick Easley, who is an advocate tennis program activist. You can James basically call Rick, them, uh, you can basically, not to interrupt you, you can call them Doc's other sons. <laughs> Doc's other sons, thank you for joining us tonight at our common ground. I am your sister then, I guess. Come on with it. There you go. <laughs> uh, uh, James, uh, let's talk for a minute about how he, uh, how uh, Mr. Horn, Doc Horn, progressed in building um, you as a tennis student and the program once it moved to Gaines Park before there was a Gaines Park Tennis Center. Oh. <clears throat> Doc always wanted students to learn tennis and. I, I'm, I'm going to pick, I have to start off this this way. Doc was an idealist. He believed that all of the students in the community should play tennis because tennis is a lifetime sport. He believed that 
students uh, should develop teamwork and sportsmanship, where we what both just really talked about. And he developed a, a, a we had a, a children's clinic on Saturday, and we had about 60 students. And that's not at all worried them out. We didn't have, uh, like, the emails and Facebook and, and all of that now. And then he moved from that to having an adult clinic. And we had all those on, on Mondays, and we had about 25 males and 45 females. We had wheelchair tennis with all out there every Thursday evening. We had approximately 20 wheelchair students. We had senior tennis uh, that was age 50 plus on Wednesday, and we had approximately 30 students. We had round robin uh, tennis for all adult players, and we had team tennis for all males and female players. And on on the other hand, Doc got various black business owners to donate monetary gifts and food for the students after practice. Some of these were business owners were Carl Robinson Grocery Store, Davis Toyn, Lamar Davis, Blue Front Barbecue, Norris Nelson, just to mention a few. He also got the adult players to donate money for rackets and balls to be purchased for the students. So these are the things where I thought was the idealist. He believed that if you get the adults involved with the, with the students and help them, sponsor them in some type of way, then the program, you can grow your program. So that's what I, I really admired about him, and I, I worked with Doc for 20 years. I was his first student, and Doc was a real master, and for Every day, for four hours each day, I had tennis lessons from Doc. And so one day, I was hitting the forehand, and I hit six balls across the net. So Doc said, go back and do it again. I said, well, Doc, I just hit six balls across the net. He said, what is your opponent? Hit seven. So go back. (laughs) (laughs) He <laughs> said, go back and do it right. So, you know, from that, he was he was a drill master. And, and I, I, you know, I, I just love my relationship with him like he was my father, too, uh, because tennis got me into a lot of places that I wouldn't be able to go if I wasn't with Doc. Mm-hmm. And Doc got a lot of students. Tennis scholarships, uh, a, lot, a lot of people don't know that. He helped me sponsor uh, five tennis professionals, and I wanted to fire. Uh, when Doc was on the court, just students just didn't only get tennis when we were at Doc and I were working. We helped with their homework. If I was on the court with the students, uh, Doc would be teaching the students math to help them with their home math homework, and if he was on the court, then I would help them with their language arts. So we, 
God believes in students. You have to be academically sound to play. He said, because tennis is a thinking man's and woman's game, latest game. And she believed in that. So you had to be able to think because tennis is just like uh, playing chess. You have to move your opponent around to get them out of position. So, and like Bo was saying, you have to uh, hit angles. So that's math. So um, if you, you have, if you can't hit 30 balls over at this particular angle, if Doc told you to hit 30 over here, and you say, well, that's impossible to do. But when you do it so long, it becomes like habit. So he instilled that into the, into the students. You have to mm-hmm. be able to get the ball back across the net to move your opponent around from place to place. You don't have to hit every ball hard. So those are some of the things that that I learned, you know, from Mr. Mm-hmm. Hunt. Uh, let me let me ask you, uh, James, um, about. When you moved into other sports, because you, you played football and basketball, right? Basketball. Basketball, okay. I was, on, I was a trainer on the football team. Well, what was um, Mr. Horn's response when you started playing other sports? Um. He 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 loved that you know he he didn't have any um, he always he always, Doc always wanted you to be the best that you could be in whatever you were doing so he never he always encouraged me to you know to mm-hmm. be a good basketball mm-hmm. player because mm-hmm. I I had shocked from Doc so you know he taught me me what worked and he encouraged me to you know be a good basketball player but. Uh, also, to be a, a, a good person in life, you know, mm-hmm. he, it, because he, he was not going to let you do the wrong thing, because he would tell you, mm-hmm. "Hey, son, go over there and take a seat," and then if you would go over there and take a seat, and you say, "Get up out of that seat," you, you say, "Well, son, did I tell you to get up out of that seat?" I want you to take that seat. <laughs> I want you to take that seat. And just come into your head. So, yeah, you know, yeah. But all of that was, all of that, you know, helped me. You know, it helped make a man out of me, you know. And mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I miss him, and uh, I, I learned a lot from him. I learned a lot about teaching and, and and Doc was always writing something. He said, well, I said, Doc, what are you writing this for? He said, well, man, when I get enough in of, of what I'm thinking about, I'm going to get it published. So I know he left a lot of papers and things because he was just sit out there for sometimes for at least two hours and just write down information that he, if you would, I said, well, not why you're writing it. He said, well, Marion, you say if you don't write down things, then you can't move forward because you're going to forget about some things. So write mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. down. So, he was, you know, he was encouraged 
Yeah, he always he always had that pencil behind his ear. Yeah, yeah, you you gonna you know, already writing something, you know. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, he had information. Let but me let me ask on. you, Bo. Mm-hmm. Uh, James, did you want to finish something? No, no, I um, I I, I can come back later. I, you know, I got so much okay. history. Okay. I, I, I sometimes yeah. it all comes and goes and goes. I'm loving it. I'm loving oh, yeah. it. So I, I wanted to ask you, when you mm-hmm. told your dad, I, I remember when you joined the choir in the eighth grade at Roosevelt uh, High School. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I was saying to myself, who the hell told Bo Horn he could sing? <laughs> <laughs> I had never heard you singing. <laughs> but Miss Fanny Cousin loved you. But But when you decided to go into music, and what was your dad's response? I know he was very proud of you and what you achieved as a as a as a musical icon. But what was his response? You know, long be long before even eighth grade, Janice. Uh, as Marion said, you know, Dad could build anything with his hands, and um, he he knew about uh, the different ways to. Build things. So at an early age, he used to build speakers, and he would bring music over to the shop and just expose me to music, like like mm-hmm. Arthur Pricefock and mm-hmm. Nat mm-hmm. King Cole. And as 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 I would be around a young boy, just around it, I start to imitate and try to sound like those artists. And mm-hmm. he was the one that introduced me. To, he used to love Al Green. He used to uh, love Bobby Womack. And in my early days, it was Arthur Brysock, Roy Hampton, Roy Hamilton, and great singers. And, and as mm-hmm. a child, when I grew up, I started realizing that, yeah, I do, I do sound like that person. I mean, one of my greatest concerts that I put on at the early age of nine was in the back of his truck. With my mother's broom. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. With your mother's and, and broom. <laughs> with my mother's broom. <laughs> you know, he built the, we had a very large um, um, patio uh, at my house, and all the clubs used to book the patio to have their soirees and dances and stuff. And your dad built the speakers that were that's right um were, were were mounted in in our patio so that people could play the music because the that was before black people and here's historical context y'all y'all who are listening that was before black people could book the local hotel to have exactly. their events. The events happened at the Women's Club on 13th Street in West Palm Beach, at the Peaks Patio, at the Sunset Lounge, uh, and the Cotton Club, and and many place, venues that were provided by black people. Uh, for for the Our Common Ground family that does not hail from West Palm Beach, uh, West Palm Beach was a highly structured 
active and rich segregated community at the time that James and, and Rick and Bo and I were growing up. We had our own doctors. We had our own exactly. post office. We had yes. our own grocery stores. Yes. Uh, I, I never knew what it was like to go into a large box grocery store growing up because my mother bought her groceries and everybody in the community bought their groceries from Robinson's. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, um, so when when we think about this and put all of this in context, one of the things that I I want people to walk away from uh, this broadcast understanding that this man persevered against the barriers of Jim Crow. Yep. Because even now, and I'm going to shut up and we're going to bring Rick in and talk some more with with James Marion. Even so, even so, he achieved the kind of resistance and barrier-breaking that we all laud that happened during the civil rights era, which started in the 1950s. Absolutely. And there is still some resistance, and we're going to talk about that in the second hour, because, you know, I cannot have an hour common ground broadcast without talking about race, because one of the reasons that is happening all across this country that cities and states are putting monies into, and very little money, but some money, is to maintain segregation. I'm talking about in the South, not you people that's listening from Boston. Don't get all curled up and stuff. (laughs) Uh, uh, it, it, It is a pattern and practice of divvying up budget money to ensure that black folks stay where we want them to stay. We give them a little bit to hold them there. So, Rick Easley, we're going to come to you and then go back to James Marion because we're going to take a break in a, in, a, in a few minutes. Rick, thank you so much for being with us. Now, help our audience put the puzzle together. Your advocacy is around black tennis. Well, for the most part, um, Janice, I would say that it's really around keeping the history alive and perpetuating legacies because too often we don't keep our history alive. And one example that we're talking about is we know what Doc did I mean, it's obvious the things that he did because a lot of us experience that, but it's not passed down from generation to generation. And that's a key thing because if you don't pass it down, people don't know what they can be proud of and what they should have. And to, to tie it in, when you think about the city of West Palm Beach deciding that they should have an appreciation day for Jimmy Horace Doc Horn is a biggie by itself, but on top of that, they named the tennis center in his honor. How often does that happen in communities? Not very often. And you have a situation. Yes? 
especially well, in such a long legacy. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, and the thing, too, is I, I would pose to anyone in your listening audience to think about any predominantly black community that has six tennis courts in that community. It's a rare thing. And yeah. Doc was able to make that happen. And when you go back to when the courts were over there initially, one and two courts were there, but courts three and four, those were basketball courts. And, mm-hmm. and the city of West Palm Beach was a baseball, football, basketball city, not a tennis city. So for Doc to be able to convince people to convert those to tennis courts, that's a monumental achievement in addition to Absolutely. what he's done before. Now, you, you talked about all that he's done, and that's, that's true and great, but in August 2019 in West Palm Beach, I'm at the tennis, and I call it a tennis facility now because when Doc had it, as James explained, it was a vibrant tennis center. It was a community, a lot of action going on, a lot of activity. Once Doc was not there, that died and went away. And in August 2019, I'm walking around those courts, and they are in terrible shape. Cracks everywhere. You have raggedy windscreens or no windscreens, and nothing had been done to perpetuate what he had been doing. And I'm thinking, there's a 30th anniversary coming up. Let's see what the city is going to do. Yeah, and 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 we're going to talk about that in the second hour. We're going to go for a break, but you make some very, very cogent points here. And uh, we've got, uh, I can't count them all, but we we must have 50-561 listeners on my board. We've got a lot of 561 listeners, and these are people probably from West Palm Beach. And and what's with the... We've got 2404 uh, listeners who are listening by phone uh, to this broadcast. And, 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 and that means that there are a lot of people who are interested, and one of the things we want to get to on the other side is how we support this legacy, how we make his life real in the life and the, and, and the tennis center going forward. You're listening to Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham, and we're going to be right back um, here at Our Common Ground. In the second hour, we're going to take your calls. You might want to write it down. It's 347-838-9852. And that was Leslie Allen winning a tournament for the first time, the first African-American to win a big tournament since Althea Gibson in 1958. This was February 8th, 1981. She tweeted out about it, Martina. I was at that tournament. I don't remember who I lost to, but I remember Leslie winning it. Well, she, she beat some good players to get to the final and won. Uh, it was one of our big events. It would be like tier one event. And uh, so congratulations to Leslie for winning that one. And now we have 40th anniversary. Go figure. I cannot believe it's been that long. And, and it had been almost 25 years, John, in between Gibson's victory and Allen's victory. And Leslie said she could only dream 
that black women would dominate tennis and never imagined we would have the freedom to use our voice to highlight racial injustice. And obviously now, seeing Serena Williams, Francis Tiafo, seeing Coco Gauff, being able to do that. Yeah, and I was also, I saw 1981, I'm thinking, you know, 1990, you played Zena Garrison in the Wimbledon final, 2000, Venus Williams wins Wimbledon. This has been a progression, this has been a lineage, I'm happy we're doing this. Also, the Tennis Hall of Fame has a great online exhibit commemorating this, but uh, Leslie Allen, former USC Trojan. I'm wishing on a star Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now, back to Janice. Because our society is only as strong as all its individuals, the United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers, but we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists, but we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, we had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Wizard of Oz is 70 years old. Today, if Dorothy were to encounter men with no brains, no heart, and no balls, she wouldn't be in Oz. She'd be in Congress. <laughs> Common Ground, Transforming Truth to Power, one broadcast at a time. Coming up on this Saturday, do we accomplish much in celebrating Black History Month each year? I'm wondering, and I'm asking, are you making a difference? Are you intentionally and consciously creating new Black History? Are you making Black History? I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you right here in the Black Truth Sanctuary at Our Common Ground, Saturdays live and call in, 10 p.m. Electoral outcome that we had. Now, you've got to keep in mind, I'm a political scientist, so my, my thing is politics. If you, if you don't like the idea of me talking about parties, because I know a lot of black folk are quick to say, well, the Democrats are awful. The Democrats ain't no better. What about those Democrats, especially black men? I, I, I get you, brother. I'm with you. I'm already there. But, but we're talking about politics. Now, the subject is something different, like we shouldn't be a part of the Democratic Party, then I'll talk about that. But what I'm talking about in the meantime is 
that black people have made political choices in their wisdom. And I think it's a deep wisdom. Um, again, there's not another group that even comes close to black people's intelligence when it comes to voting in, in and out of parties. Black people belong to one party in America for 100 years when it became too racist and FDR made some gestures with the New Deal. They, t- they took them another 30 years, and by 1964, they had completely broken from their party after 100 years of, of belonging to the party of Lincoln. And then they chased the racists out. They, 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 Black history matters. You just don't want to miss the Our Common Ground 2021 Black History Special. The history of black political movements in America with Dr. James L. Taylor. Thursdays, 8 p.m. I'm Janice Graham. The history of black political movements in America. Dr. Taylor brings fire to our history. Black History Matters. This lecture series opens up the power of black political history. And that was Leslie Allen winning a tournament for the first time, the first African-American to win a big tournament since Althea Gibson in 1958. This was February 8th, 1981. She tweeted out about it, Martina. I was at that tournament. I don't remember who I lost to, but I remember Leslie winning it. it was, she, she beat some good players to get to the final and won. Uh, it was one of our biggest. Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. And now back to Our Common Ground. a very special broadcast of Our Common Ground, celebrating the 31st anniversary of the Jimmy Doc Horn Tennis Center in West Palm Beach, Florida. It is a broadcast to honor him and his legacy for more than three decades of advocating, building, and ensuring that black children in Palm Beach County and across Florida are able to be in history of tennis uh, resisting all of the racial barriers. With us tonight is James Marion, who was an assistant and a student to Dr. Horn at the uh, Horn Tennis Center at Grains Park in West Palm Beach. His son, Jimmy Bohorn, the famous musical producer, 
and we're going to have to get some promo music from Bohorn, and we're not asking any permission. And Rick Easley, who is who was a student of Dr. Horn's and is a national advocate uh, for black tennis and to in, and is now working on organizing the 31st anniversary at the Doc Horn Tennis Center. Gentlemen, thank you so very much for joining us at Our Common Ground and um, having the the fortitude, the the we're all, we're with all to um, and the vision to understand the importance of this man's legacy and the work that he did in our community. Absolutely. Yeah. When before we went uh, to break, Rick, you were talking about let's let's talk about the center and its programs. It's it's very disheartening uh, to hear um, that people are not being vigilant around the physical facilities that bear his name. Yep, uh, that that's very key. And and one of the things that, that I want to share before I go forward is to ask the listening audience to have a pen and paper available because I'm going to give you some information that you may find valuable at some point while we're talking. But to address what, what you're sharing, Janice, what happened for me was the last straw. And as I mentioned, August 19th, when the facility was in such bad shape, that I went to Bo and I said, look, man, um, the 30th anniversary is coming up, all the things your dad did, all the things that James discussed about the different activities, they were pretty much in a closet. We need to do something for the 30th anniversary. So we approached the Parks and, and, and Recreation Director, Leo Rockwell, about doing the 30th anniversary. And when we did that, we found out that the city didn't have anything planned. Now, here is the 30th anniversary, the facility named after him. You gave him an appreciation day, and you're not even respecting what he did. So our thing, Bo and I, was let's do this anniversary thing centered around what he did, which meant let's have kids out there doing some coaching Let's look at having at least 30 kids to commemorate the 30th anniversary. Let's have free breakfast, some coaching, some history with them, and make it a fun event similar to what Doc did during the time he was out there. And that's what we did for that 30th anniversary, and we were expecting uh, support from the city because you look at a city that has a multimillion-dollar budget. These are the kind of things that you should be doing in that community because you do similar things downtown Clematis and all around the city. But all the things that we provided that day, the kids had fun. We had breakfast for them. We gave them prizes. It was a fun day, and everyone was asking, are we going to do it again? And that's the kind of activity that should have lasted long after Doc left, as opposed to the building being locked for years, and the facility basically dying in terms of activity. But rather than wait for the city to, to do it, 
Bo and I got on board, James got on board, other volunteers, because we couldn't do it without the volunteers, and the volunteers came together, and it was a very good day to the point we even had two city commissioners out there, and they had such a good time that they're coming back for the 31st. But the bottom line that I want to share, too, is that the city should have been the lead on this with us as volunteers supporting them. And with all the things that were provided, the city provided water, some of their chairs, some of their tables, ice, and that's it for that kind of event. For me, that's pathetic, and they should be held accountable for it. But we had enough volunteers who were proactive to make it a very successful event. Now okay. we're going to do me, it again. Let me let, let me let me start let me let me stop you there because you know okay. you've gotten into the political stuff for me, yeah. and I don't let political stuff. Who are the city commissioners for the district? Okay, the two commissioners that came out. Uh, the commissioner for the district is um, well, the Shelf, um, who's the district one commissioner. The other commissioner came out who is not for that district, but she still supported it. So the commissioner who was responsible for that commission, I mean, for that center did come out. They both had a good time. Uh-huh, and and Leah, uh-huh. as the department director, was also there. So Leah Rockwell, who is the, yeah. the, who is the director the, of Parks of and Recreation. Parks and Recreation, correct. Okay. Okay. okay, but but the thing that I want to bring to the table is we're going to do it again because it's something that should be done, and we're not just going to sit back and ask them to do it because it's a matter of respect. They should have had that kind of respect to maintain the kind of activities that Doc was doing. And when we talked with Leah, one of the things that we brought to the table was, yes, we did this 30th anniversary, but we want to do more. We want to at least get it back to where it was when Doc and James were doing it. And after all these years, that's kind of pathetic because we should have been building on what he had done all this time, but now we're talking about trying to get back to at least where he is. And we can do that. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing, too, about the, the respect, and I, I want this to be very clear. They could have donated funds for that, but they did not. But during the time in in March of 20, there was a $30 million bond referendum for parks that the citizens had to vote on. $30 million. Parks and Recreation did a draft budget prior to the vote, before they even knew if they were going to get the money. And as, as a matter of respect, in their proposed draft budget, for similar facilities like Howard Park, South Olive, and even Curry Park, they had different amounts of money. Now, let me tell you what they had for okay, Gates let Park. Okay, let me interject for people okay. who are not familiar with West Palm Beach. Okay. Curry Park, South Olive Park, Howard Park uh-huh. are in traditionally white majority communities neighborhoods. Gaines Park is the traditional black neighborhood. Okay. So people okay. so people are clear when they're hearing this. Yeah, and and, and the, the, the further explain it in a draft budget for Gaines Park you have 
about $600, and you're going to use that for some tennis, basketball, um, trailways, and walkways out there. $600,000 out of that $30 million budget. That's what you're going to have that may impact the tennis facility out there that's named after Jimmy Doc Horn. Now, out of that same $30 million for Howard Park, you're dedicating $2.5 million just for tennis. For South Olive, you're dedicating $2 million just for tennis. For Curry Park, you're dedicating $8 million. And you haven't even looked at a design. You haven't had to vote. But that's the disrespect that we have to address. And part of that is putting pressure on Leo Rockwell so that we get the money that we should get because they're taking money from citizens who pay taxes down there and live there and putting it in these communities. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. just an example of the disrespect that we're okay. talking about, and we have to do something about that. And the part that we can do is reach out to her, whether it's by phone or email or whatever. But those are things well, wait that we a minute, should know Wait a minute, about. Rick. Hold, mm-hmm. hold on. You're on our common ground, and we're about to get down. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Bo, has the mayor, who is a black mayor, y'all, yeah, you know what I'm, you know where I'm going, and I know him very well. Uh, y'all know where I'm going. Our coming around family know where I'm going because I've been telling y'all, uh, people in high places, um, shadow become shadows. But anyway, I'm not going to Keith is I'm not going to beat on Keith tomorrow night. I'm going to beat on Keith. But uh, tonight, <laughs> tonight okay. so has 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 the mayor of West Palm Beach and Leah Rockwell, who is the director of Parks and Recreation, invited you to and Rick and James to have a conversation about the needs of the Gaines Park Tennis Center and the Gaines Park Tennis Association? Uh, not to my knowledge. No. Uh, Janice, I can help, Janice, I can help you with that to add some clarity to it. First thing is this. Leah has never initiated a conversation after that first anniversary event that we did, and she was out there and she saw how successful it was. We as volunteers approach Leah with different things that we were willing to do if the city sponsored it as volunteers, and we would facilitate it as volunteers. And those were things like having a men's and women's tennis league out there, having lessons for kids out there in terms of coaching, having round robins, the kind of things that Doc and James did before. But she was not open to doing things like that because she had some favors that she would lean toward. So, no, she has not responded in a positive way, and that's part of the favoritism that I'm talking about. Now, to answer your question. That's not favoritism. That's something else. I, I will well, give it a word. Okay. All right. But I'm just letting you know what the word is. Now, you asking um, Bohorn about the, the doc. Now, Jimmy, the first time that we did the event, we did send uh, the mayor 
a letter. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the response was he couldn't fit it into his schedule. Is that correct? That is, yes. Okay. So so in 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 this this year what happened was I, I approached the mayor with an opportunity to talk about the Dark Horn Center out there and him potentially having a legacy to build on because we needed things done at that facility. Not anything special, but what was being done at South Olive and Howard Park, the same kind of things they were doing down there, we wanted and we deserved. The, the mayor's response to me or from his staff was, we we don't have the time to do that, and he stipulated initially he wanted to meet for 15 minutes. So that 15 minutes, according to his staff, went away. So we did reach out to him again to try to get some things and give us equity, the same kind that they have at Howard Park and South Olive. Now, in addition to that, even though he has not had the time to meet with us, we're going to invite him again to come to this event and see if he has time to come. And if he does, that's fine. But the bottom line is uh, Leah has not been an advocate, even though we would make things easy for her to do. And that's why we need to put pressure on her for the equity and say, if you can give them $2 million and you don't know what the design is going to be, um, you can do the same for our community. Because the thing is, if you have those kind of amenities in your community, it has a tendency to help your home value. So your home value goes up and you have a different appraisal and you have different equity in your home because you have really nice facilities in your in your area. And if you do have that kind of appreciation in your home because you have some good amenities there, then you could take equity out and you might want to start a business, you might want to take a trip or help your child's education. But those are things that those kind of those kind of amenities bring to the table that residents should be able yeah. to take advantage of. Yeah. But and, for and, all of you who are listening from five six one, and specifically West Palm Beach, and you are a user of Gaines Park, and you voted for the current mayor because he's black. Because I know y'all do that, and we need to stop doing that. I want to invite you tomorrow at our common ground, because I'm going to be talking about black forgiveness. We give out too much forgiveness. And, we, we, you know, these people aren't asking, aren't seeking redemption. These people are seeking our forgiveness. And the price that they want to play is zero. So you all come and join me tomorrow night. But tonight I want to tell you, I don't give out medical advice about the COVID virus, but I give out discounted advice on our common ground. And I've been doing it for 34 years. This is our 34th year of broadcasting. It started right in West Palm Beach. Here is the advice. You ought to be outraged. That's my advice. That's the only advice I'm giving tonight, James. Oh, uh, uh, okay. I'm giving it. If I can, let me give some advice. But 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 oh. but Rick, don't 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 don't. Yeah. But but here is the thing. You said that the building has been locked, and the reason the building is locked is because it has no personnel to run it. Am I right? Oh, okay, okay, but just to be clear, that oh, there was a period of years when it was locked, and and, and there was an effort to have it unlocked. 
and and when it was unlocked a, a few years ago, there was dock horn equipment and all kinds of stuff in there that had not been used for years that was just sitting there. And now they have someone out there on a temporary basis who is not able to kind of perpetuate the kind of activities that we were talking about in terms of implementing again that we have shared with with Leah that we were willing and able to do, and she's been resistant for us doing that. And we're volunteers. So this is and, this is a paid person that the city has at the tennis center at the Jimmy Horn. No, 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 no. He's he's not paid. Oh, oh, no. Okay. Uh, but he he was able to receive a keep because at one point I even called and asked, you know, why is the building locked down there? Because this person who's there now had been mentioning, well, they keep it locked and, well, we can't get in. And then he went back, and after I call, all of a sudden he gets a key, and we find out that all this dock horn equipment and stuff is in there that's been there for years. So different times it's been locked and unlocked, but no one really making it a true tennis center. For me now, you have a 40-plus-year-old tennis shack over there, so it's not being operated like a tennis center. Mm-hmm. And when you think about okay. South Olive, they just started building a $2 million tennis center. They just started doing do, that. Do they have staff and coaches paid by the city? N- no. But, but, but one of the things that the city has done is that they want to, like, contract it out. If you remember, when we were growing up, Parks and Recreation – Managed all the parks, and they were responsible for the activities. This city has a a model where they're saying, at Gaines Park, if you want to use the baseball diamonds over there, you have to pay us X amount of dollars to use that baseball diamond. Tennis courts, if you want to manage the tennis courts or make money, you have to pay us. So they don't want to have day-to-day responsibility for that they want someone to pay them. So even okay, though that's but, the case, they still build that kind of center for South Olive. Yeah. It's, let, let, let's talk about the $2.5 million that's going into uh, Howard Park. Is that also a new facility that they're going to, the plan is to build a new facility at Howard Park? Uh, okay, I, I'm going to answer that for you, but let me drop this to your audience so that they'll know. $8 million for Curry Park is without a design in place. That's just what the city is saying. We're going to designate $8 million. That is outrageous governing. That, that okay. is simply outrageous governing. That is never heard of, that you're going to give somebody $8 million and then they'll tell you what you're going to do with it. Uh, okay, but let me tell you the next part that goes with that, because this is what's been done. That's why I say we've been disrespected and we need to stop allowing that to happen. At the 100th year anniversary for Curry Park, a staff person for the mayor's office was so positive about them getting the $8 million before they even had a design. This person even told them at this anniversary event, we will be back here in two years to cut the ribbon. 
even though we don't have a design, but we're going to give you $8 million plus million to come up with well, that that's, design. That's, that's exactly what I'm saying. Without a plan, they get $8 million. Yeah. No, no government, no responsible government does that. It's as simple mm-hmm. as that. So and, they got and that's a, plan, why I, a friend or somebody down there uh, who's pulling strings. Okay. And, so how, and the city of West Palm Beach ought to be challenged on that. And, and that's what we can do, and, and we should do it. I mean, because like I said, disrespectful. Yeah. To answer, answer your question about Howard Park, the two and a half million is for the courts down there. I mean, specifically for the courts to do whatever needs to be done. But it's two million okay. allocated. James that's, and and Rick, yeah. in your estimation. What are the problems? What are the things that immediate things that need to be done to make this uh, uh, to, ter- to 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 rehab the tennis center? What do you need? The the immediate thing is to have the same equity that South Olive has in Howard Park because the money is there. It's there, but Leah is allocating it to areas that she wants to allocate it toward. And the example is that draft budget that I told you about. Now, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I'm saying, this 40-year-old shack is out there, and South Olive is getting a brand-new $2 million multi-level tennis center. Okay? They have about the same number of courts that Gaines Park has. They don't have mm-hmm. the history that Gaines Park has. So what we're talking about is equity. That's what we're talking mm-hmm. about. It is not a matter of money. And and Bo will tell you every time, and James will tell you too, every time we talk with, with Leah about doing things, out of her mouth comes, I don't have the money. I don't have the staff. Mm-hmm. We're volunteers. We're going to help you. You have a $30 million bond. You do have the money. You just don't want to do it. You don't want to do it in other areas. So as residents... As taxpayers, taxpayers have to respond to her and say, hey, you need to divert that money to Gaines Park because we want to see our homes go up in value. We want to see our community mm-hmm. grow. We want to mm-hmm. see our children mm-hmm. benefit from that. And mm-hmm. we're not doing mm-hmm. that. And you're talking about forgiveness. For me, we don't hold people accountable enough. We need to hold them more accountable than we have doing. And that's why I'm saying – if if you want to help, call Leah and email her every day and tell her she needs to divert money to Gaines Park and treat Gaines Park like she's treating South Olive and Howard Park and Curry Park. It, it because sounds to the me, citizens Rick, deserve it. Uh, it. It sounds to me, Rick, that there needs to be a committee that develops a petition to the West Palm Beach City Commission uh, to demand that there be a reevaluation of the distribution of the $30 million throughout the city. It sounds to me like citizens need to get together and start meeting, not Sending, you mean sending letters that supports it, but the letters should support some other kind of very solid 
foundational uh, uh, needs assessment around this uh, around this budget. Um, you know, has has anybody, for instance, started? And and our number is three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. If you'd like to get in on this conversation with James Marion, Rick Easley, and Jimmy Bohorn about the Jimmy Doc Horn Tennis Center, you have you can call that number and you have to press one in order to get in the queue to talk with us. You have to press one. So. And then- now, in response to what you're saying, uh, Janice, one of the things that I would put out there is, and it's not like asking someone to walk from Selma to Montgomery, but if residents would call Leah and, and the mayor every day and let them know X needs to be done, they will meet with people, and they mm-hmm. would have this conversation. But they don't have any pressure on them, and the easiest thing to do is – Call them every day and send emails every day until they're willing to do that. And and for Leah, for those of you who have pencil and pen and paper, Leah Rockwell is her yeah. name. Leah and, and her, Rockwell. Her, her phone number is five six one eight zero four four nine zero four. Once again, all coming in. Go, give okay. the number again. Give the number again. Five six one. Eight zero four four nine zero four, and her okay. email, her email is l rockwell r o c k w e l l at w p b dot org, and you can okay. get the mayor's number, if, you know, just by calling down there. And we'll give that out again. We're going to go to a caller at five six one five seven. Okay. Good evening, and thank you for calling Our Common Ground. Hello. Yes, you're on the air. This is Ignatius Wallace, your classmate, Jimmy's classmate. How are you all doing? Oh, Lord, here we go. Ignatius Wallace, thank you for for joining us tonight. I know Ignatius is a longtime activist in, in West Palm Beach, and he is a classmate of uh, Jimmy Bohorn and mine. Um and Rick, what 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 year did you graduate? Uh sixty eight. Okay, you were right behind us. Ignatius, yep. thank you so much. Hotep and um I respect you. What's your comment? Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I've been listening to everything that you all been saying and doing. And uh first of all, you know the reason why they're doing what they're doing, one, we don't have a force down there. I call it rest farm, not west farm, because our people mind state of rest. They don't get involved in anything, and the Anglo-Saxons just doing what they want to do. You all know when we grew up, rest farm, the part that we go in was very productive, like you said. It wasn't it was so-called integration came and destroyed what we was doing on 15th and Tanner. Now, I work with Doc Horn. I know of him. And he was very dedicated. All those things you're saying is very positive about Doc Horn. But see, what I found out about what the city has done is they have appointed X number of people look like us to come out community to sell us some goods, not the whole pie. When they do that, 
how people take the crumb type situation rather than asking for more. Now, what they've done is, Janice, they came in with their redevelopment money, CRA money, and they have bought all the churches down there, okay, when you know the churches are the backbone of the black community. When they put those little crumbs in the church down, they won't come out and say anything because they are afraid, okay? They are afraid to uh, confront white folks about things we need in our community, okay? And that's going to that's gonna stay that way as long as they give them a couple of crumbs or whatever. Okay? Well, the irony the is, really, is really clear here, Ignatius and, 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 and Rick and Jimmy and James. you got a black mayor who's allowing this to go on. You've no. got a representative on the city commission no. who's allowing no. this to go on. No, he's not a black mayor. He's a knight. No Negroes and good harmonious taste, okay? Now, here's what's happening. Here's what's happening, okay? See, Keith James don't even live in our area. He lives way out west, okay? And we get, and uh, he comes every now and then over that way claiming he's doing things. You cannot, and I learned this from a fuss of mine at Morehouse. He said that you go to school, you said you want to go back in the black community and do things, you're there for a short time. He said then you move out in the suburbs, and then you may go every now and then. But you look at TV and say, you know, what's happening over there? say, oh, look what they're doing over there, okay? Rather be embedded in it and try to solve the problem. That's what's needed, okay? Well, I, I think that, I that there has to be some some challenge organizing going on, as Rick has said. And just calling, I mean, Leah Rockwell, she is not going to lose her job because she has this bias budget and these responses that uh, are, 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 are insufficient. It is the mayor who came yeah. to the black community. It is the city commissioner yeah. who came yeah. to the black community and say and asked for your vote. Mm-hmm. And so those are the people who you target. The people who said, I will do right by you, and everybody's listening to the show knows that somehow this ain't right. Janice. And I know that there are children listening, so I can't say, but tomorrow night, if you all come right. and listen to me uh, to the Our Common Ground, I will say exactly what this is. Uh, okay, I'm but, trying but, to be but Janice, Janice, in conjunction with what you're saying, though, what I would say is, the mayor and Leah works for the residents, and if you make it known that you're not happy with them, they have to respond, or they they get a response. The mayor would at the at the ballot, but she reports to the mayor, and and that's why you target to, him. That's well, why you and, target and that, him. And and that could could be the case too, because like I said, we reached out to him, and initially he said 15 minutes. But then he said he didn't have time. So and, and you know what have. my you know what my translation of that is? Kick rocks. Yes. Yeah. Huh? Kick rocks. That's what my yeah. translation of that is. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Okay. Ignatius, you are yeah. are, are are you is your activism in West Palm Beach now? Are you back? Yes. 
Yes, I, oh, okay. I, I'm, in, I'm in and out of there all the time. You never know where I'm going to be at. See, I don't have to go work for nobody, okay? And then when I worked in the school system down there, they tried to handcuff me, but I care less about a dollar bill, okay? That's me, okay? And so so here's, the, here's the thing. Uh, after, this sh- after this broadcast, I never call it a show because it's not a show. This is serious business because this is a game that governments play with black communities all the time. You can call Marty Walsh and ask (laughs) Marty Walsh how black folks deal with him in Boston. I mean, he's Labor Secretary of Labor now, but when he was the mayor, or Tom Menino. You have got to call these people out, but you have to do it within a framework. If it's nothing but 25 people, and I agree with you, Rick, that uh, Leah Rockwell needs to get some phone calls, and she needs to be told we're going to deal with the mayor and the commission on this. And and, and part of that, too, is – if part of that, too, is residents periodically need to go to those city commission meetings because they well, are very but, but informative. Well, here's the thing. Here's the, here's the next thing that I'm suggesting, and you know, you all, all know that I did politics in Palm Beach County for a couple of years, and I know you get on the agenda for the commission. You present the problem. You present the history, and you present the demand and make them, on the record, have to deal with it. But then yes. you've got to organize people. You've got, you know, you, you had you had 60 kids, which means you've got 60 adults uh, who are interested in the tennis center. That's from the last anniversary. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you've got to take those, tap into those 60 people, and if, you have to end up uh, taking 60 kids and their parents to a city commission meeting. That's what you have to do. But you cannot allow. I mean, if you have to, uh, Ignatius, you and I both know, sometimes you have to do hard politics. And if you have to call him black and bogus, that's what you have to do. I mean, uh, Alpha is in our ch- in our chat room, and and I'm suggesting to all of you at 10 o'clock tonight at TruthWorks Network that you check out the Alpha show because Alpha is a working man politics, and he broadcasts at 10 o'clock. But 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 the thing is that sometimes, I mean, it's not that Keith does not know the mayor of West Palm Beach does not know that hardball politics from black folks can break him because white folks don't want to deal with black folks with the black people after them, okay? And that's the money and the votes. So, Ignatius, uh, do you want to have one more thing you want to say and we'll, we'll take some other calls? Well, let me just say this. First of all, you know, it's record. People need to go down the city and get the records of payroll uh, and uh, the Sarah people in parks and recreation. 
you'd be surprised if the top white folks how much money they make, one or $200,000 a year, okay? Then along with that, what they do in our community not doing, go down on Dixon and look at the graveyard down there and then go to one up there uh, on 26 feet, the black graveyard. To see the district. I'm just saying in terms of what they're not doing in our community. Now, way back, uh, and by the way, our community told the story, uh, torn up, okay? Because they got their master plan for years, now it's in full force. In terms of they just destroyed everything we had, the history and stuff that we had down there in West Palm Beach area because our people won't go and stand up and say, no, you cannot tear this up. But they did. And they're yeah, going to keep yeah. doing it unless our people come together and do something about it. Okay? Yeah. Okay, thank you, Ignatius, for your call. And I hope you'll stay with us. I'm going to put you back in the queue. So don't get nervous that you're going to lose the broadcast. Our number is 347-838-9852. I ain't trying to... Hey, Janice, if I could, let, let, let me bring this, because I don't want to lose this importance. Uh-huh. Uh, and it, it's two parts. One is, in in November... I submitted information to the Tennis Hall of Fame describing the, the things that Doc has done and all the things we talked about this evening. And because of that submission, they selected him to be in the Hall of Fame for their class of 2021. So he's going to be inducted into the Tennis Hall of Fame um, in July. So in addition to all the stuff that he's done and he should have had – a a really great facility. Now he's a Hall of Famer on top of that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's significant. And that's what we need folks who are listening to do something on their end so that we can get the equity and the money back in our own community to have the same kind of amenities that the other communities have. Well, he's certainly, he's certainly earned uh, that, uh, Rick, Jimmy James. He's he's earned his right to be in the Tennis Hall of Fame. And that's what and, I thought too, and that's why I submitted the information. Yeah, and, and one of the things is that you can use that as leverage. And uh you know, I I can't get on any issue that has some things that need to be done by by people. And I'm asking all the people who are listening to this show if you want to be on the front line on this. One of the things is that there should be a letter to the editor of the Palm Beach Post announcing that um, Doc Horn, Jimmy Horace Doc Horn, is going to be entered into the Hall of Fame and the issue of the budget for the city of West Palm Beach is a problem, and there are issues relative to comparative er, um, issues relative to how the Jimmy Doc Horn Tennis Center at Gaines Park has been cared for, has been promulgated in the budget and that the mayor has not responded. I'm I'm just saying, I'm just saying. So uh, I, I hope that there's someone who knows how to write political letters. Send it to the Palm Beach Post. 
and there you are. We've got another caller. We're we're going to be running out of time here. Um, let's see, five six one five zero. You're on the air. I respect you. Thank you for your call. Five six one five zero. Hello. You're on the air. You held up your hand to be on the air. Okay, I'm gonna put you back. Maybe you pressed a button by mistake. Jimmy, uh one of the things is that this Hall of uh this Hall of Fame, Tennis Ball Hall of Fame uh, nomination and designation. I am I am so proud of um, of that this is happening. That that this is happening. It's just a wonderful thing. He he is so deserving in history, in our history, in our lives for the work that he did. And 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 you you know I want to basically just uh, thank you, Rick, for submitting uh, my father. Um, and um, I can't tell you how I'm, I'm I'm very very touched by that. And I thank you. And you're welcome. Uh, I, I I thank you also, Bone, um, for you all you all believing in Doc. And um, I just want to thank uh, both of you. And, Janice, most of all, I want to thank you and your listeners for giving me an opportunity to talk about my life with my father as his son. And, um, wow, I appreciate all of you for this evening. Well, that, that that's a good way and um, uh, to be able to draw this down uh, that I mean, this is an announcement that uh, Rick has been just biting at the bit to be able to bring tonight. Uh, this is breaking news, folks. You have just heard breaking news. Uh, my folks at the Sportsman Tennis Club called, uh, sent me notice uh, because even the the, the current director. He used to call, call me the the um, horns girl, horns girl. That's that's what he used to call me. <laughs> oh. Uh, and by the time I got to be forty, I had to stop him from calling me a girl. But um, <laughs> it, it, it it's just a wonderful thing. And James, you should be so proud. Of, I am. Because it is part of your work as well. Right. You know, it is. You know, this is this is all about about you, and I think that people ought to call Leah Rockwell and say, "We coming for you. Something has to be fixed, or we are coming for you." And people in the community need to know that you've got a Hall of Famer tennis. Center, and they're going to get $900,000 or $600,000. Did they change it to $900,000? Yeah, 
No, no, what you're talking about is they allocated 600000 for different things, including doing something for the tennis center. And, and mm-hmm. as volunteers, when we kept pushing for more money for the center, just to give your listeners how it works, somehow Leah came back and said she found 900000 more dollars. So the money is okay. there. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But, you know, I think people in this community need to push to ensure that um, the the center is worthy of a Tennis Hall of Famer's name. I'm lying. James Marion, Rick Easley, Jimmy Bohorn, thank you so very much. For joining us tonight, we've got some. Why people wait? People do this all the time. Uh, We 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 uh, are going to take one more call um, and see if five six one five zero three very quickly can make a comment. Five six one five zero three, you're on the air. You keep calling and hitting that, that, holding your hand up, and then you don't say anything. Let's see, five six one five seven four. I think that's Ignatius. Ignatius. I'm here, but that wasn't me. Okay. <laughs> okay. Can you, can you hear, y'all can know you hear y'all me? Y'all try to mess with a sister. Uh, don't try to but, mess with let, a sister let, let, when let, it ain't. And when 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 it's not late at night. Hello, five six one five zero three. See, people try to mess with a sister, and then I'll get a hundred emails. I tried to call, and and you wouldn't take my call. Um, but anyway, um, thank you well, so Jen, much. Jen, very we much. definitely appreciate this opportunity tonight. We appreciate it big time. It was yes. my honor. It is my honor. Yes. I loved Jimmy Horn um, and the idea that uh, not only does he have a tennis center in West Palm Beach at Gaines Park named for him, that there are people who really understand how he stood in the midst of resistance, broke barriers, and created opportunities for black children. Thank you all for being with us. Uh, You can follow me over to my sister channel at TruthWorks Network, and we'll try to chop it up a little bit with Alpha. You still have Confederates in your Congress, and Alpha is going to be talking about that tonight. I'm Janice Graham. Tomorrow night, 10 p.m., I'll be listening for you. Good night. I, I don't know that she, you know, she plays that long great. If she decides after 10 years she doesn't want to do it anymore. But um, it is a marathon, though. So I know she's gotten a little bit ahead of the plan that we kind of laid out for her. 
Um, so uh, we'll see how it goes, but she's definitely beat the curve all along. Every time we set a benchmark, she seems to exceed it, but that's her competitiveness. Mm-hmm. It's also because of you, too. Absolutely. This incredible, solid foundation that she has. Hit the lottery, I think. Thank you so much for joining us in support of the Jimmy Dockhorn Tennis Center at Gaines Park in West Palm Beach. We hope that you will continue to support the legacy of Doc Horn, pioneer of black tennis in Palm Beach County, his passion and his drive. You can do so by reaching out to the tennis program at Games Park. Thank you for listening, and we are here at the Black Truth Sanctuary, our common ground, each Saturday night live, 10 p.m. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you.